Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. It's Friday, February 10th. Today's podcast focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV Newsroom. I'm Shana Walsh. And I'm Isabel Dancis. And here are this week's feature stories. Every Monday, we give you the FUV Sports Spotlight. It's where we feature shows from one-on-one, New York's longest-running call-in sports talk show. Today, WFUV's Eli Keeler and Michael Matuch talked to Seattle Mariners play-by-play announcer Dave Sims about his career and the relationships he's formed with other sports greats. You talk about Dusty Baker, your relationship with Dusty Baker. You guys both um, genuinely great sports minds. Uh, if, if, if you could, could you break down your connection with Dusty Baker and even connection with someone like Coach K, another great sports mind? Well, uh, with, with Dusty Baker, um, first of all, there's so few African-Americans in, in, uh, in Major League Baseball anymore. We, we really gravitate to each other. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, what was it? I was doing Phillies. Actually, I think, I think early, uh, mid-90s, I was doing ESPN games. I was doing a, a Wednesday night. We had Wednesday night baseball package, and I would do like if the Yankees and Red Sox were on, obviously it would be blacked out on ESPN in New York, but I'd be doing the, the White Sox and somebody, White Sox and Brewers or something like that, and that would be the game. So I was doing the B-Net games. Anyway, I met him along those along those lines, and I met him. We hooked up again when I was doing Phillies Weekly in 99 and 2000, and then once I got this job in Seattle, I remember him telling, hey, man, uh, that's really great. I'm happy for you. He said, I love Seattle. I wanted that job when uh, Pinella came uh, when Pinello was fired back, it was an 034-ish, and because um, he loved the hunting and fishing, and we just hit it off. And and now that he's, uh, we would see him in spring training when he was with um, the Reds, and then we played him a couple of times uh, when he was in Washington. And he's a guy. And I was telling somebody the other day, he's a guy when we we played Dusty Baker team. I already I always my pregame um, routine. Try to get in a little bit early because every day I like to go down and hang out at the cage with him and just talk baseball, talk life, and talk experiences. Wow. And he's just, I mean, here's a dude who partied with Jimi Hendrix. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, you know, I talked yeah. to him the other day to invite him on with Coach K. It was the second time he'd been on. He was on a couple of years ago. I said, you must be hearing from every everybody. I said, your picture needs to be in every black barbershop in America. I said, you've heard from so many people. He says, yeah, I heard from Barack Obama. I heard from Snoop Dogg. And I heard from Snoop Snoop Dogg Sr., who sounds exactly (laughs) like Snoop Dogg. Can you believe that? (laughs) So he said, how cool is that? I said, that's why you're the best. You you know, you bring everybody. (laughs) And then uh, for Coach K, when I was working at the Daily News covering college uh, sports, college hoops, and Coach was up in Army, uh, that's where we met and, you know, did some of his games. And we used to have writers' luncheons. And Mama Leone's probably has gone right before you guys were born. Anyway, we're at 8th Avenue and 49th Street. And we'd have these weekly college basketball uh, luncheons for writers to get notes, quotes, anecdotes. And we'd sit around. We had PJ. We had uh, uh, Jimmy V. We had Tom Penders. We had Coach K. We had Raftery. We had Carnesecca. Uh, we had all these great coaches and, and other local guys. And we'd sit around and just chew the fat. And that's how I got to know him. And years later, when he got the show, they were looking for somebody who didn't have, uh, who could do a national show that didn't have any restrictions that prohibiting them from doing that. And we're in our 18th year. That was WFUV's Eli Keeler and Michael Matuch talking to baseball commentator and icon Dave Sims. Strike a Chord is WFUV's quarterly public service campaign. 
Each quarter, we choose to highlight nonprofits in the New York City area that do work centered around a specific theme. This quarter, our focus is staying safe and resilient. We take a look at organizations that work to strengthen and empower communities. My co-host Isabel Danzas spoke with the communications and development manager at Day One New York about their work. Sashay Turner. I'm the communications and development manager at Day One New York. Could you kind of describe to listeners what Day One New York does? Sure. Day One partners with youth to end dating abuse and domestic violence through preventative education, supportive services, legal advocacy, and leadership development. We work only with young people 24 and under to address relationship abuse and stop it before it starts. Why is educating people at a young age important to stop domestic and dating violence? Dating abuse affects one in three youth, and like domestic violence, it is often misunderstood, minimized, and mishandled. With limited relationship experience, teens can struggle to identify when unhealthy behavior becomes abusive, and adults often fail to assess the risk. Um, And so when we talk to young people that are between the ages of 16 and 24, um, they're three times more likely to face violence in their relationships than any age group. We know that they're at a critical development stage and teens are less likely to report their experiences to authority figures. How does educating younger people specifically then create safer communities or impact the community at large? Yeah, so when we educate our communities about healthy relationships, we can help to reduce physical and sexual violence by 60%. That's really big. We want our communities to develop healthy relationship habits and skills that will protect them from the dangers of dating violence that can often lead to fatalities. What do you hope the people and that the communities that you work with kind of take away from your work? So at day one, we want young people entering their dating years equipped with the language um, to support them having a safe and healthy relationship. Most importantly, they should know they have a right to be respected in relationships and the obligation to treat others with respect in relationships. And if they're experiencing harm, day one is always available to help. And then I guess, could you describe like a memory that's maybe your favorite or just one that sticks out to you as really representative of what Day One does from your time working there? Yes. Uh, Day One had a 19-year-old client who migrated from Ecuador to the United States and married her partner. She spoke very little English and relied on her partner heavily. Um, Soon after, she started noticing patterns of control such as him isolating her from her family. He would wait outside of her job to ensure that she wouldn't speak to anyone. Uh, He started controlling what she would wear and who she spoke to. When she tried to leave, he physically assaulted her. Uh, She was afraid to go to the police because she was undocumented and believed she had no rights. So when she finally was able to speak up and speak to a police officer about what happened to her, Um, they were able to refer her to day one services. Um, And then we quickly provided holistic legal support. Um, We provided supportive counseling, which allowed her to end her relationship, her abusive relationship. Um, With that, you know, she was able to obtain her green card, attend college, and ultimately restore her confidence. 
All right, great. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. That was my conversation with Sasha Turner, Communications and Development Manager at Day One, about her work strengthening communities in New York City. Every month, we bring you Fordham Conversations. This month, Vocon host David Escobar spoke with historian Jeff Cobb about how he is preserving history through storytelling. Oral history is, is incredibly rich. People die and they move on and we lose their stories. That was Jeff Cobb. I talked with him for this week's Fordham Conversations feature about the work he's doing in the Bronx to uncover the lost stories of Irish immigrants. Here's an excerpt from our conversation. How did the Bronx Irish History Project start? What's interesting for me is I live in Brooklyn and I've written four books about uh, about the Irish in Brooklyn. So I know my borough very well and I, I know Manhattan fairly well. But uh, the Bronx was kind of a, though I knew some things about it, uh, there's still a, a lot that I have to learn. So it's exploring different aspects of, of the Irish history in the Bronx and, and learning you know, Irish people have, have come to the Bronx for, for a long time, and a lot of them were actually quite poor. I mean, areas that we don't think of uh, as having Irish populations today, for instance, the South Bronx once had a, a you know an Irish population. Uh, one who comes to mind is a man called Mike Quill. Well, sir, I believe that all civil service employees should have the right to strike. They should have the right to genuine collective bargaining. They should have the right to a union shop agreement, to a signed contract, to grievance machinery. They should have all the rights that every other American citizen have. Basically, everybody who drives a bus or, or drives a subway, uh, they belong to this union that Michael Quayle founded. Another Irish woman who, also in the South Bronx, was a woman called Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, who was probably the most prominent female labor organizer uh, of the 20th century, an absolutely dynamic uh, speaker. She's also a founder of the American Civil Liberties Union. What was the yeah. Irish experience in the Bronx? It, it's interesting. So uh, I published a book about two years ago uh, on the history of the Irish in New York State. And the one thing that I realized is there actually is no average or typical Irish American. It's a large community. The Bronx is a huge community that spans several generations. And there's a, just a huge diversity within that community. So to, to kind of say that there is a, a stereotype, I think, or, or a prototypical Irish American, um, there's no prototypical African American. It's a community with huge diversity. Uh, the same thing with Jewish Americans, and I'd say the same thing about about Irish Americans. You know, so you have people on the far left, like the two figures that I talked about, but then you know you also have people who are, uh, you know, construction workers who'd be Trump supporters and very very far to the right. So that's it's just the nature of our community. There's a, a tremendous amount of diversity within it. What about this project and this moment? What makes it important to you? From the other historical work that I've done in my own neighborhood, in my own borough, uh, I realized that oral history is, is incredibly rich. People die and they move on and we lose their stories. 
people have incredible uh, memories and incredible stories to share. But if we don't find these people, we don't preserve their stories. When people listen to the various interviews that we do, especially Irish Americans, we'll get a, a much better understanding or picture of not only the present day Irish community in the Bronx, but its historical roots and its historical antecedents. That was WFEV's David Escobar talking to Jeff Cobb about the Bronx Irish History Project. Fordham Conversations enlists the help of the Fordham University community to tell stories about our world. In honor of Black History Month, we'll be featuring a series highlighting Black representation in music around New York City. This week, WFEV's Christina Lulich sat down with Global Head of Business and Executive Producer of Afropunk to talk about their festival at Lincoln Center this month that celebrates and uplifts Black women. February is Black History Month, but organizations like Afropunk celebrate Black history all year round. And they're bringing their celebration to Lincoln Center the last week in February to celebrate Black History Month. Afropunk is a brand widely recognized for its music festivals. The first festival took place in Brooklyn in 2005. It was intended to be a safe space for punk artists and fans who felt they weren't welcomed in other settings. It's through brands like Afropunk that help propel the conversation, and more so than that, create a safe space for people to commune, for people to not be judged, and for people to celebrate themselves. That was Shauna Gray. She's the global head of business development for Afropunk. While the organization is mainly associated with the music festival experience, she says that they are evolving. The direction of the business, especially this year, is showing up in these unexpected places. It's creating experiences for all demographics of our audience. So this year, Afropunk teamed up with Lincoln Center to host Black Her Story. There will be a series of performances from music to poetry to spoken word. Some of the highlighted performers are music artists like Celise and India Ari. Executive producer of Afropunk, Anthony Maddox, says there will be something for everyone at the event. I think what we were looking to create was a good intersection of the community. So we created this sort of micro festival that sort of popped up at Lincoln Center. We really wanted to give a good intersection of the, you know, Black girl magic that we sort of consolidated for this two-night experience. The themes of the festival are agony and ecstasy. It's meant to represent the American experience of Black women throughout history. And the ecstasy is sort of the the joy of the other side of the rainbow. And that's really what the juxtaposition of agony and ecstasy sort of represented for Black her story. And obviously looking at, you know, the complex history of Black women in this country. The event will also include pop-up shops and vendors that sell products made by Black female entrepreneurs. Jonas says this is a way people can support Black her story, even if they aren't fans of the music festival experience. We wanted to be able to bring something special to the Lincoln Center experience and having the focal point be around those that you know identify as female was really important for this business and continuing to do what it does, which is uplift those that might not have the opportunity to be uplifted in other areas. Feel free to join in on this celebration of Black history on February 24th and 25th. I'm Christina Lulich, WFUV News. That was WFUV's Christina Lulich talking to Afropunk about their Herstory Music Festival at Lincoln Center on February 24th and 25th. 
And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every Friday for more features exclusively from the WFUV newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast. It explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues surrounding the New York metropolitan area. And it includes features and interviews just like the ones you heard exclusively from FUV. You can catch new episodes every weekday at 3, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find out more at WFUVnews.org. I'm Shana Walsh. And I'm Isabel Dances.